0: welcome to on dod on federal news network now your host jared serbu thanks for tuning in and on the program this time it's a special joint edition of on dod and ask the cio on federal news radio i'm joined this time by my friend and colleague jason miller the host of ask the cio Coming up this hour, we're both talking with Holly Jores, the Defense Department's Program Executive Officer for Defense Healthcare Management Systems. DHMS is, of course, the PEO DOD first stood up almost 10 years ago now to pursue the development and implementation of a new commercial electronic health record. DOD is now getting very close to completing that deployment, a system, of course, that came to be known as MHS Genesis. But as we'll talk about, there's plenty more work for the PEO to do, even after the system is live at every military treatment facility around the world, plus a lot more work that extends beyond the EHR itself. Hope you'll be able to stick with us for the full hour. It's a great conversation with Ms. Jors, starting with a progress update on those Genesis deployment waves.
1: I'm really excited about the progress we've made uh, since our initial operating capability sites uh, back in 2017. We are now live at 75% of the military health system. That equates to about 140,000 users and service to about 6.1 million beneficiaries. So, as we've gone through this transition, we're not just replacing a legacy system. It brings new capabilities to bear. I'm really excited about, uh, one, creating a lifetime record under the Single Common uh, Federal EHR. So, that will enable uh, patient-centered care. So, it'll be a record about the patient, not where care is delivered you know, from when someone assesses into the military or whether they're, you know, a beneficiary uh, that has come up as part of, was born into the military, so to speak, uh, they will have a lifetime record uh, all the way through uh, service with uh, Veterans Fair. So it's exciting about what we can bring and gain insights about population health, medical readiness of the force, and really ensuring that we're taking care of our service members and their families as they are, uh, you know, making sure that they're ready to deploy and and serve, uh, serve the country. We've got some exciting capabilities like the mass readiness module. This is something, you know, well, we adopted a commercial system and you might think, well, you know, what does mass readiness have to do with commercial hospital system? Uh, it's something that we were able to look at the modules that were within the existing system and figure out how to use them for unique military need. As you know, um, you know, People go through readiness lines right before they deploy. We've got uh, recruits that are coming in to initial training bases. We've got cadets at the service academies that are uh, incoming. And there's a requirement to look at vaccinations and uh, in-process those folks uh, for what they need in a relatively short period of time. I mean, sometimes seconds per individual. So we've been able to provide that capability that really the military health system didn't have before. They might have used paper and gone back into the records later. I know um, as people were going through lines, you know, they're trying to keep track of what what vaccinations people need because people are in various stages of, of vaccination as they're entering. Um, the Air Force Academy used Genesis to process 1,200 cadets in six hours last year when they were bringing uh, online the new class of cadets. and. I expect that that will continue to improve. Uh, the Air Force has shared, you know, that, you know, previously it would take up to several months to get that information in the records, and now they're able to get that right away. So that's just, you know, one of the unique capabilities uh, that's really above and beyond what we would have seen with the commercial EHR. You know, um, historically, we were looking at a way to just document care you hear it talk about a lot you know the longitudinal record but really mhs genesis is more than that it is a way to coordinate care provides team care and and looking at the information available to everyone who needs it on a healthcare team and so with that pretty excited about the health information exchange um, we're now connected with about 65 percent of private sector hospital networks, and this year we're going to expand to over 90 percent. And that really makes the fax machine go away. It's pretty exciting that, you know, when folks go out uh, maybe uh, to a network provider, uh, that that provider will be able to see what was done in the military health system, and vice versa, um, you know, we'll be able to pull those that information back. And we can do that today, and it's really game-changing to be able to not only see that information for continuity of care, but really prevent, you know, tests having to be reaccomplished because that information is not available. So excited about that. I could probably go on and on about all the capabilities we're providing. So I just wanted to, I I want to make sure I have time for your questions, but, uh, um, you know, happy to to jump in on, on more of the capabilities as we go.
2: Well, there's plenty to catch up on. I'm going to go back to a few things, but I'm just more excited that the fax machine may actually go away. We've been hearing about the end of the fax machine for, for decades now, but but sounds like we're, we're one step closer.
1: We're making progress. Not making quite, progress. Not all the way there yet, but yes.
2: Uh, just go on the rollout itself of, of MHS Genesis. You said about 75% of the military health system has about 140,000 users. That that final mile, that that final twenty-five percent, is that the hardest 25%, or is that just, hey, you got to do them in groups and, and this is this last 25%? Is that some of the uh OCONUS rollouts? What, what how do how do you get to that final 25%? Yeah,
1: that's a good question. So I'll talk in terms of CONUS and OCONUS a little separately. So we are nearing our final waves for for CONUS. And really that was we chunked it into work of anywhere from three to eight thousand users per wave because you want to make sure that you can um, really give the attention needed for uh, adoption, training, at elbow support. Uh, we have something called the Pay It Forward program where we bring users of the system to help their peers uh, as they're going through the go-live. Um, really great learn from colleagues. And we want to make that really a manageable process, so we do chunk it into waves. We've got the National Capital Region coming live here toward the end of March. And then our wave Wright-Patterson, which gets us kind of the rest of the Midwest uh, early this summer. And that really rounds out our uh, CONUS deployments. And so OCONUS, as you mentioned, you know, is the last mile hard? Yeah, OCONUS presents some challenges just with your crossing oceans, right? And you're talking about ones and zeros traveling from a data center across an ocean. Um, You might not always have as high a network reliability in some austere locations overseas. So it really presents some logistical challenges for us uh, that we're working towards. So pretty excited about going to uh, the uh, European uh, area and the Pacific. But um, yeah, I would say that logistically speaking, uh, they're the most challenging. But across the board, every wave really brings some unique challenges, right? The process we go through is the same each time, but we bring on new capabilities. For instance, when we went live in San Antonio, Brooke Army Medical Center has one of the military systems, you know, has the only level one trauma center. So that really required us to hone our workflows for trauma support. Um, and they have some unique capabilities that they support uh, the surrounding county in San Antonio. So when it comes to you know, administration and keeping track of patients, right, that provided um, some unique challenges. So every wave has something a little different to it that we need to um, make sure we are enhancing or, you know, keep keeping that continuity of, of care. But yeah, the last mile for OCONUS certainly has some technical challenges.
0: This is Jared. And let me let me just pull on that thread a little bit, kind of along the theme of if you've seen one MTF, you've seen one MTF. that. That upcoming wave that's going to include the NCR, of course, you've got Walter Reed in there, you've got Fort Belvoir in there, which I think is probably among the most you know, complex mixes of types of care in one facility out of everything you've seen so far. So maybe say a bit about what you've learned through the deployment process up to this point that, that makes you feel like you can implement Genesis across all those different types of clinical modules that you're going to need to to implement at a place as, as complex and large as Walter Reed?
1: Yeah, um, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I think first let me say that, as I said, you know, we, we come into unique characteristics as we've learned, but we have to remember as we get better and better at deployment, it's the first time for each site. So we always take the tact that, you know, even if it's our eighth wave or our tenth wave, it's the first one for that you know, that location. So we have to treat it that way. So really understanding what their as is, what their current state is, how they transition to new workflows. Because remember, it's not about the IT system. I mean, yes, we're delivering a platform, but it's really about how we go to uh, a standard approach to care. And so the more sites we've brought online, the easier it is to talk about that from a standard so that the way workflows are done in emergency department is the same whether you're at Madigan or San Diego, you know, Madigan Pacific Northwest or San Diego or another um, major medical center, right? You, We're, we're creating those enterprise workflows that, that make that sort of standard of care and standard of process. So the more sites we bring online, the easier it is for that. And so then we're able to focus on um, what are those things that are unique? Obviously, in the National Capital Region, you know, looking at things um, like the White House Medical Unit or other places that that maybe are complex. I will say I spent some time with the Intrepid Center out at Walter Reed. Uh, gosh, I guess that was last month. Trying to make sure you know I understood their workflows. They've got a tremendous mission uh, to support wounded warriors. And, you know, they really take a an integrated approach to team care. And so looking at the workflows, uh, because that, that is a, a very unique um, uh, facility, there's, uh, you know, building more and more uh, of those capabilities across the health system. But I think it's about getting enterprise standards for most of the care and then, like I said, freeing us up to really focus on those unique capabilities that come with with each environment as it gets more
0: complex. Yeah, and ad- adapting those workflows seems so huge to me. You and your predecessors have talked about the need to adapt the workflows so that they are uniform and that they're they they do what works with the the tool sets rather than configuring the entire system to to suit a million different workflows around the world. And I'm curious how that sequencing works when you go into an MTF. Do the workflows start changing at the same time the cutover happens to Genesis, or is there some preparatory work on that workflow side to get them ready to start adopting the tools?
1: So there's a couple key things here. We, have, we start about 18 months out um, from our go-live date, and we do a couple things. We meet with the commanders um, and the directors of the sites, and we pull them together, and we build a cohort for, for that wave. And we talk to them about what to expect and how to lead through this change. And so then that kicks off a series of activities, and one of those is looking at their current state. How do the workflows operate? Um, but I'm going to take us back even further to about 2018, uh, when we set uh, when DHA set up the office for um, the chief for health informatics, and that really tied with having a single functional champion uh, was able. We were able to really look at the workflows from an enterprise perspective, not buttonology, not how you click on a system, but really how is care going to be coordinated through that hospital? So they created enterprise standards uh, for that. And so what we do starting, like I said, that you know 15 to 18 months out, you look at it and say, okay, here's what you're doing today, and here's how you're gonna transition to that new future state of enterprise workflows. And in doing that, sometimes you uncover something that you might not have considered in the enterprise workflow, and in that case, we have a uh, configuration management process where we can go and have our solution owners that understand both the clinical capabilities and the technical capabilities of the system, and look at is that something that we want to adopt for the entire enterprise. So we're not configuring site by site, but we're taking the input as each site comes along to see if we can continue to optimize and improve for everyone. I'll give an example recently with oncology. Uh, When we first went live with oncology, uh, the sites were mostly on paper and we had very limited capability. We have spent the last year working with the oncology community, the nurses, the oncologists, the oncology pharmacists, so that we can look at the regimens that are needed. We have organized that information in sort of folders for disease specific things, so certain types of cancers So that it's easy for them to find and it um, increases the safety of them being able to pull up those regimens and their confidence in it. That gets validated by that clinical community. And so I don't want to give the impression that everything is decided at a headquarters level. Those enterprise standards are really driven by the input of that clinical community. And so there's representation to to bring in and provide that input and then a very disciplined process for how we make changes and incorporate um, updates to optimize those workflows
0: That's Holly Jores, the Program Executive Officer for Defense Healthcare Management Systems. We'll come back and talk more about the ongoing deployment of MHS Genesis and a lot of other things the PEO has been up to lately. It's a special joint edition of Ask the CIO and On DOD on Federal News Radio. I'm Jared Serbu, along with Jason Miller. Back with a special joint edition of On DOD and Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with my colleague Jason Miller, the host of Ask the CIO, and we're talking with Holly Jors, DOD's Program Executive Officer for Defense Healthcare Management Systems, primarily about the ongoing deployment of DOD's new electronic health record, MHS Genesis. And Jason, we'll kick it over to you for our next question for Ms.
2: Jors thanks jared uh, holly one of the things when you talk about standards and ensuring that this is brought in with the human-centered design or user experience i'm sure we'll, we'll hit upon those buzzwords of, uh, eventually yeah. but how do you guard against too much customization i mean in the past what we've seen when, when big systems have struggled or even failed it's because you took not you holly but but somebody the government took a system and said, well, yeah, but but our workflows are different. So we need to customize and customize and customize. And then all of a sudden it's no longer that commercial off the shelf system but this really homegrown system that you know either struggles to, to work or costs too much to update and, and keep modern. How, how are you finding that right balance?
1: Well, it's a really good question. And that really comes to discipline and uh, rigor in, in your governance process. And we look at configuration, not customization. Uh, our goal is to minimize any customization. We want to be able to take commercial upgrades. Um, uh, right now, we plan we take those twice a year. So we want to maintain state of the market with the rest of the private sector health system. Um, what we do, though, is look at what can be configured locally. Uh, one of the great things about our system, it is highly configurable. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of optionality it is actually really great for us to be able to configure it. Like, I'll I'll give an example. As we look at the fact that we are the same, we are in the same um, production instance, from an IT speak, but we are in the, it is the same system that the VA is deploying. However, the workflows are entirely configurable. So from a DoD perspective, Um, There are certain things that needed to be the same for both, but they're pretty minimal. And then we can look at workflows. So those flow through a solution and adoption board, a joint um, change uh, control board. It's hard to say. It just really comes down to that discipline of saying, hey, is this change something that makes sense for the entire enterprise? If we were to customize, can we afford the tail associated with it, right? And and that's what makes a transformation like this so challenging, because if you do have the courage and discipline to maintain that commercial standard, it requires a lot of change in, in business processes. And, and that really makes that adoption challenge um, much more difficult. And so then you have to really apply those resources to at elbow support, um, our system enables us to really gain insight into how the users um, are using the system. We can look and see how long uh, someone is maybe taking. Are they doing after hours charting? Um, is a particular department having some challenges? We can ha- get insights into that data. So now we can do targeted continuing education to help them be better at adopting. So while that's a little different than saying, you know, how, how do you keep from configuring, honestly, it's or I'm sorry, keep from customizing, it's really understanding your workflows, your processes, and minimizing those things that that are unique. I I think as we shift to sort of this data-centric environment, it's how do we look at the data that needs to be captured, transmitted, if there's some external um, data we need to connect to, what's the easiest way to do that versus trying to customize a system to do it right sometimes it's we just need to be able to get the information to the right place and that may or may not be within the ehr itself
2: i appreciate that you brought up this the the user side of it the the change in business processes Uh, i want to and i definitely want to talk about va but before i go down those paths do you have any sort of data in front of you or any data that you know about when you looked at the number of business processes or what percentage of business processes end up needed to be re-engineered or changed or just thrown out the door altogether, have you guys looked at that at all?
1: Um, I don't know that I can give you a number, but I could say, again, the process was really looking at every single workflow within an encounter. So from the time that someone walks in the door to check in, actually, I would back it up even to when a patient needs to make an appointment, right? And looking at those all the way through their care, to pharmacy, to um, patient-reported outcomes afterwards, like that that's in the spectrum of, of the processes that we look at. Now, did we nail them all perfectly right out of the gate? No, right? You get a baseline capability. And, and the beauty of, you know, the way we run IT is that it's a continuous delivery model. So now we can look at the data and see, did we get that workflow right? Do we need to look at pharmacy operations? Do we need to look at patient administration and see if we can optimize or improve that to enhance really we talk about the user experience but I really want to shift focus to looking at the patient experience what is a patient experience as they go through this process and how can we make it better for them so step one was get a modern capability out there look at the data and now you know a lot of people say hey uh, you know hey how does it feel to almost be done with deployment and I will tell you we are not done I mean we may be completing our, you know, on the, on the home stretch of the actual deployment activity, but we are just getting started on how to use a modern tool within the hospital system. So, you know, like I said, I can't give you an, a straight up number, but I will say every single process end to end was looked at in, in going through this to ensure that we were accounting for, for what needed to get done within the system.
0: This is Jared again. I, I want to try and do one more beat here on the change management piece, just because I think it's so so key here. And I, I totally take your earlier point about the the fact that the workflows were built, you know, by clinicians themselves rather than being imposed from on high. But but at some point, somebody's got to say, "Okay, everybody, this is this is the standardized workflow." And I'm I'm just curious if that sort of thing has gotten easier as the management structure for MTFS has transitioned from the military services to DHA itself. This project, of course, started in the middle of that congressionally directed transition. Has the process of implementing the EHR changed, become easier, especially in the change management front with all the MTFs under a single manager?
1: Well, I will say, I mean, I I don't know that it hurts it. I think, um, I don't know that materially we have noticed a difference from all program office perspective because what we did with setting up that single functional champion was have that single voice of the customer. And whether previously that was coming from the different services as the MTFs and now that information you may may be all within you know the Defense Health Agency chain. But from my perspective, um it was most important to have that single voice. So I think for the functional champions, uh, yeah, I don't want to speak for them, but I, I, I'm, I would imagine that it might make it a little bit easier because of, you know, sort of that ownership within DHA. But I will say it really didn't change our communication. We talk with the, the service surgeons general on a monthly basis at a minimum, um, the joint staff surgeon. And we really, I mean, we bring in the services to the process, right? We need to be communicating with them. Regardless of the um, management of the MTFs, the personnel that are performing are still, especially our uniformed personnel, um, are still tied to to the services. So we need to make sure that they are in line and and understand what we're doing. And uh, we need to understand what's important to them. Anytime you're doing any kind of major IT project like this, single voice of the customer is, is so critical. I can't underscore how important that is.
0: Let's start to explore the the road you started to take us down a minute ago on, on, on the patient experience. Tell us a bit what you're doing to gather feedback from really both patients and users on how this is all working.
1: So we have a couple of formal mechanisms. There's an annual summit that's hosted by the firm where they bring in users who have been on the system, I'll say providers or administrators that have been on the system for at least six months, and they are able to really focus with their peers and talk about certain aspects of the system and give us positive and constructive feedback on what they think works and doesn't, and so that's one mechanism. We have um, surveys for both patient and clinicians, Um, and that's really been part of a process, I would say, regardless of what IT system is being used. I mean, that's a pretty standard um, approach. We leverage uh, some commercial benchmarks to be able to look at that. And then there is, when I talk about our governance structure, we set up informatics steering committees at each MTF. And um, it's really important when you think about health informatics, you know, they're, they're the belly button to um, those folks that are at that site and experiencing it daily. And there are weekly forums up to the uh, the health informatics within DHA and they are able to communicate what they're experiencing on the ground. And it's really bi-directional. We're able to uh, communicate. As I said, we're in a continuous delivery. We, we're delivering changes throughout the year, new capabilities, responding to user, um, user requests uh, that we board through the configuration management process. And we need to get out word on that capability. So I would say it's kind of that bi-directional feedback. We can say, here is what we've added to the system. We hear you here are the things we've improved here are the enhancements here's the new capability you have here's how to use it and then we have that forum to be able to talk to that and um and and that's run by um colonel canlina the the chief of uh, health informatics
0: and not to put you too much on the spot but can you think of like a specific example where that patient feedback has told you oh this aspect of the patient portal isn't doing what it needs to do and you you did a course change
1: you know, I'll be a friend. There's that we're going to continue to evolve this. So, for instance, when we first started out, we didn't have uh, you know prescription refills uh, available through the portal as we transition, and that's something that we put in the development process so that we could make it easier to for folks to to refill their prescriptions. Um, I know that as leader, senior leaders go out and talk to sites or spouses groups or MSOs, right? We get some feedback. Uh, on on things, and, you know, one of them is scheduling and looking at making it easier to find their provider when scheduling appointments, making the right filters be in place so that they can only see the providers for their location, and they're not sifting through a list of, you know, every provider alphabetically within the whole system. So those are some small things. Um, last summer, we were able to um, deliver a capability called Clipboard, which was able to do digital documents right so as someone you know people aren't having to sign the release papers and things when they came into the office they could do that digitally as part of their preparation. For the appointment and those are some of the, the things we get uh, via feedback so it's really a continual process we listen and then say okay when can we get this into the queue to to improve their experience.
0: That's Holly Jores, the Defense Department's Program Executive Officer for Defense Healthcare Management Systems. We'll come back and talk more about DOD's deployment of MHS Genesis in just a few minutes. I'm here with my colleague Jason Miller, the host of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbin. back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is a special joint edition of On DoD and Ask the CIO. I'm here with my colleague, Jason Miller, the host of Ask the CIO, as we talk to Holly Jores, the Defense Department's Program Executive Officer for Defense Healthcare Management Systems, about the ongoing multi-year rollout of DoD's new electronic health record, MHS Genesis. And Jason, back over to you.
2: Thanks, Jared. So then they're going to have to ask you the, the, the most logical question. So what are you hearing so far uh, not to compare the DoD you, do you rollout with VA, but I'll offer this: We know that sometimes we hear some pretty uh, critical comments of the VA challenges. Uh, I'm just wondering how, what, what, are, what kind of feedback are you getting so far?
1: You know, I I, I I don't know that you know I can comment specifically on the VA experience, but what I can do is talk about uh, the difference in timing of the rollout. Right. So we talk about lessons learned and maturity, and I talk about how much easier it is to get everyone on an enterprise standard once you have more sites on board. We learned our lessons um, and we continue to learn every deployment. But I look at where the VA is now and I'm taken back to where DOD was in the 2017, 2018 timeframe. There were four sites online of varying sizes, complexities. There were some real challenges. There were challenges with the network. And so we made uh, rules about what infrastructure had to be in place before we'd go live and how long it needed to be stable before we went live. Uh, We looked at our governance and management process, like you said, hearing different input, right? Everyone, you know, when you only have four sites, everyone wants to make it work for what their workflow was. So you really have to have... um, the fortitude to look at making that enterprise standard, knowing that it might not match what they're currently doing today, and we had to go through those growing pains. There are also different ways of, you know, doing doing business. Um, and I would say, DoD, you know, we've looked at um, minimizing our interfaces, um, and so that is something that we have done to reduce complexity from a technical side. And and we've shared uh, a lot of these lessons learned with the VA and continue to work with them as as they navigate through, you know, the the growing pains of of adopting a new system. You know, you always have your early adopters and folks that are talented, but but it really comes down to the leaders on the ground. Um, We have found, I I, I jokingly uh, say our secret sauce is uh, the leadership on the ground uh, as we go live and how much... They are um, driving the change and the transformation, and so they are also a great feedback loop for us. I've gone around and talked to commanders uh, um, at, at the sites who are running the MTS and listening to, okay, how was it? Right as you were going live, now that you're, you know, now that you're six months down the road, what are you experiencing? What are you, what are you thinking? Uh, so, I would say, generally, we're, we're in a positive trend, um, but I'm always looking for those places we can improve, and, and how do we p- put that in, in our game plan to make sure we're, we're really actively listening uh, to what they need. Um, the Pay It Forward program, I think I mentioned that earlier, that's another way we get feedback because we actually get volunteers of sites, uh, folks who are already live on the system, and they want to go to the next site to help them adopt it. So that, I, I think that's pretty telling um, that we're not, you know, tagging people and saying you must go to the next site and help them. There are people that really want to help others adopt it and really see the value in the system.
2: You've been talking a lot about the the adoption where you're at, how to, how to kind of deal with the configuration changes. One of the things that stood out to me is uh, obviously there's a the work with VA you're doing, but then also the Coast Guard and NOAA also are, are are doing some rollouts of the similar or the same system. How are you sharing your lessons learned? How are you working with VA? We know you all have a, a I think a joint interoperability office, a, a, any updates around how kind of this is this system that this effort is is broadening.
1: Well, I'll take Coast Guard first because we were heavily involved in, in, in their deployment and, and working through that with them. Uh, I think they're, Phasing this out, they are actually deployed at all of their uh, shoreside sites and then continuing to expand their capabilities. So we're very linked in with them. It wasn't just sharing our lessons learned, it was actually actively participating uh, with them as part of their Go Live. And then uh, with NOAA, same thing, we're bringing NOAA on board, uh, much smaller in terms of number of users, but very critical users. Um, They have uh, Marine and Naval Operations, uh, and we need to make sure that as they support activities within, um, not just within NOAA, but work with aviation and you know maritime operations, that they're able to access uh, their records. So really we treat NOAA as we would any of our service members. So we want to be able to help them capture it in MHS Genesis, and we were able to bring that on to our, our contract and, and help them with their deployments.
0: Holly Jors is the Defense Department's Program Executive Officer for Defense Healthcare Management Systems. I'm here with my colleague, Jason Miller, the host of Ask the CIO. We'll be back with a few more minutes with Ms. Jors after one more break. This is a special edition of On DOD and Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbian. We are back with a special edition of On DoD and Ask the CIO. I'm here with my colleague Jason Miller, the host of Ask the CIO, and we've got a few minutes left with Holly Jors, the Defense Department's Program Executive Officer for Defense Healthcare Management Systems. I know we've only got about 10 minutes left with you, and I really appreciate all the time you're, you're giving us here today, but I, I want to use at least some of that to talk about the future a little. And, and you made an interesting point earlier about the fact that you know going live at, a, at an MTF is not the end of the story. Once Rollout, quote unquote, is complete. Both Conus and Oconus. Is there going to be a long-term, kind of permanent standing PEO to oversee this in in the out years to continue to do that continuous integration and continuous delivery once once Genesis is really in place everywhere?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I will say the PEO is not just MHS Genesis. So I've got a portfolio uh, that includes operational medicine solutions for the combat commands, the services, the Joint Staff and um, also an enterprise intelligence and data solutions, which is really the connective tissue in, in terms of the data services world. And I'd like to talk a little bit more about that as well. But I'll, I'll, I'll focus your, your question, particularly on the PEO is, yeah, we're software doesn't really enter sustainment. We use that word, but it's really operations. And at the end of the day, um, it's how are we using the data? How are we not um, letting the system accrue technical debt. Uh, as, as you mentioned, you know we have a commercial system um, that we have uh, put out into the field, and we need to make sure we're keeping up with the state of the market. We're bringing in capabilities like uh, virtual health uh, activities. Um, we launched MHS Video Connect last year, not just for MHS Genesis sites, but for all sites within the military health system, and are integrating that to the record. We're bringing in Enterprise telecritical care, which is uh, the ability to remotely monitor for intensivists so that we can, one, keep up skill sets and make sure that uh, intensive care units have uh, continuous coverage. And and we have uh, really just kind of have a roadmap of those activities. So, yes, long term, um, the PEO is here to provide digital solutions for patient-centered care. Um, I'm in service to both, you know, the Defense Health Agency, the Combatant Commands, Joint Staff. I, you know, I say I, but really, you know, my team exists to be able to uh, provide those modern solutions. And um, I, I don't imagine the requirements will uh, die down, right, as healthcare continues to evolve. So, yes, I do see that continuing in the future. And, you know, I'd love to, if you indulge me, I'd love to talk a little bit about the data space. Go for it, um, I mentioned please. My, my programs, but um, we're working a lot right now on sort of, I'll say, those foundational elements. We have an MHS information um, portal, which is a platform that provides connections with all those, I'll say, secondary sources of data. Uh, and that will integrate with MHS Genesis. And so we'll be able to um, de-identify data for research projects, right? You'll, that We have a, a plethora of data that can really expand capability in that area. Uh, looking at census data like uh, bed capacity, staffing, that, that um, data is going to be critical to understanding how we can respond in terms of crisis, not just for running a hospital. Like, you know, a commercial system may need that for, you know, resourcing, but we need it not just for resourcing, but how do we look at, you know, do we need to have a mass casualty center? What what would that look like? What is the capacity in the surrounding environment uh, in terms of the private sector if we were needed to offload care? All of that information is so critical registries, um, being able to incorporate things like the EILER, the longitudinal exposure record that is being worked on, you know, in support of PACT Act and, and really understanding that exposure. How do we bring that into the, the clinical space um, and keep track of population health? So working, looking at health surveillance and biosurveillance, there's so much growth in this market and really an insatiable appetite for data and one of the things I talk about a lot in our operational space is really, you know, we've been looking at operational medicine in the past. It's been very application-based. Do you have a system to do X, Y, Z? We're flipping that on its head to a data-centric paradigm. Yes, you need an application to access data, but when we talk to our functionals and, and to the, the line and to folks who, who need this capability, we need to talk about what data do they need to view what do they need to capture what do they need to transmit in order to make decisions and that could be a point of injury like a care decision you know how are they going to keep this person alive until they can get them to a a larger medical um, uh, facility or uh, things like situational awareness command and control how are they tracking um, patient movement how are we looking at blood supply Bed capacity in a theater. How do we connect all of that information so that uh, folks out in the combat commands have an accurate site picture of what they're dealing with? And that really gets me excited. I probably noticed I'm talking a little faster. I get, I get super jazzed about um, all the things we've got going on in the operational medicine space, and it really centers around data. So uh, the, the inevitable question goes, Are you, you know, what about AI? What about machine learning? And we will get to those things, but right now. I'm focused on the basics. Can we connect the right information to the right person at the right place at the right time to make a decision? We start with that. Can then it's can we automate that? Then it's what can we do with that information to enhance decision-making capability? And that could be something in the machine learning uh, space as we look at uh, future co- capabilities. So I, I just I, I really could spend an hour talking to you about how excited I am. I, I can to, tell.
0: I was going to say about this the is data space. This is almost a separate interview someday, I think. if, if In the remaining time I have, I, I, we have, I'd like to do one one more quick future-oriented question on, on the, the okay. OCONUS deployments. I know it's always been the plan to do OCONUS last. I, I, I'm just wondering if that's because they're a special challenge. Are you planning for anything different or unique when you get to those sites?
1: because of the logistical challenge, we do always have to look at their uh, integration with operational units. As I talked about operational medicine, you know, it's it's very important that we keep in mind um, those things that are, you know, normal ops in terms of, uh, you know, a hospital that's serving the population uh, at a particular base overseas versus support of operational units that are out there. And that just creates a, a dynamic uh, between the teams to make sure that we are dotting the i's and crossing the t's to uh, protect information from an operational perspective from a cyber perspective but yeah you you really the the first part of your your question hit the nail on the head i'm mostly last because of the logistics challenges associated with it
2: holly i'm gonna follow up on maybe a little bit what you said about some of the other things that peo does because when ken johns the cto spoke at the fca health it day a couple of months ago now he mentioned something called uh, that that you all created a medical common operating picture to the, during the initial months of the COVID pandemic. So obviously, almost three years ago. But this seems to be really opened the door to to maybe a, a bigger picture of how you could use this common operating picture in outside of just COVID. Can Can you talk a little bit about that effort and then how it has evolved over the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, I am, I'd love to. This is really, a, again, like I said, it was. you're right, it was a capability that started for a COVID need, really being able to connect information. And it has evolved into really a theater situational awareness um, and, and command and control solution. Working with the combatant commands on what their needs are, ultimately looking at how do we get them out of, you know, manually entering things into spreadsheets and PowerPoint slides to present the information they have. We can connect with other data sources, layer information on maps, give them a visual sight picture uh, of the, the, the medical operations within the theater. And we've done um, a series of sprints. We, this is being developed in an agile methodology with user input and looking at the capabilities really on a two-week sprint cycle to go into IT speak. Um, and, and using that agile methodology, we've been able to get uh, capability out to the field, uh, you know, fairly quickly, uh, we've got some combatant commands that are using this uh, on uh, as their primary system for situational awareness, and we have others that we are getting ready to bring online. And ultimately, the goal is to, to have this baseline capability available to not just the combatant commands, but the joint staff, the services, defense health agency, anyone who needs has a need to know um, on on the information. Uh, that we can provide. And again, it's not limited to COVID data. This includes, you know, medical bed data, blood data, patient movement. There's there's a variety of of data sources that that come in uh, to the system to to um, present that integrated site picture. Near real-time information. Obviously, different data elements have different periodicity in which they update, but I would say near um, real-time as opposed to traditional methods of taskers, and reporting on spreadsheets.
2: Oh, Ali, yeah, so we just have about a minute left, and, and I'll just ask you kind of the one getaway question. We've talked a lot about all the work you're doing with MHS Genesis, all the good work. What's the one thing you want to make sure folks know about this rollout, this effort? Uh, because this is complicated, this is broad-based, and and, and there's always somebody who's going to shake their fist and said, you should have stuck with the old one. Uh, what's what's the one kind of message you want to make sure folks leave with?
1: Well, really, it's about changing the way we do healthcare, and the enhancing the care that is provided to our service members and their beneficiaries. The data we can gather, the the coordinated um, standards, making a common experience for those who are getting uh, served by the military health system, and and being able to capture that from. Really, the beginning to their end of life. And I know that's really at the wave tops, but ultimately, yeah, change is hard, but this is really going to make a difference. And it's going to make a difference as people transition from military service to their veteran status and continuity of care, information available to them. I just, it, it gives me chills sometimes when I think about the mission and and the change that we can affect in the future.
0: Holly Jors is the Defense Department's Program Executive Officer for Defense Healthcare Management Systems. She talked with both me and my colleague Jason Miller on a special edition of Ask the CIO and On DoD. If you missed any part of this week's program, we will post the full show as always at federalnewsnetwork.com slash On DoD, or you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I'm Jared Serbu, along with my colleague, Jason Miller. So long. You've been listening to On DoD on Federal News Network. Tune in Wednesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.